Today's a great day. We're going to wrap up the last week of our BLESS series, talking about blessing your neighbor. It's a good thing to bless your neighbor for sure. I think we all agree on that. And today is going to wrap this series up, and I hope that it inspires you to be activated for Jesus and to share your faith. You know how sometimes in life you meet someone and right away you know, this person might be a special person in my life. Like, do you remember when you met your future spouse? Right, the first time you met them, you were like, ooh, this person could be special. Like, she's pretty, she smells nice. I like talking to her. I wonder if this could be the person that I spend the rest of my life with. And then you go out, you know, for my wife, she knew that about me right away. But we go out, and at some point, it changes from if to when. Not if we spend the rest of our lives together, but when we're married. Right. And I think about as Christians, we all enjoy the idea of sharing our faith with other people. But we kind of have this idea that it's an if. Well, if God opens the door, then I think I would share my faith. But the whole point of this blessed series is to help you take it from an if to a win. When I use this bless model, blessing my neighbor, I know that God will open the doors and I will be able to share my faith when he does that. And all of us as Christians, we want to share our faith. Those of us who believe in Jesus, but sometimes we're like, how? How do you do that? How do you incorporate that into your daily habits? So that's what the Blessed Series is about. I'll catch everybody up to speed. The Blessed Series, B, was begin with prayer. Because we're really dealing with a supernatural problem here, aren't we? And you can't solve a supernatural problem with a natural solution. You've got to begin with prayer by inviting God into your situation and praying for people who are far from God. Now, we gave out cards the first week of this series. You could write down three names of people far from God who you're praying for. We encourage you, hey, fill those cards out. Don't let that card get lost at the bottom of your purse or stuck in the trunk of your car. Some of you are going to find that card in your Bible six months from now. You haven't seen it since today. Like, but don't do that. you got to pray for these people. Put those names somewhere you'll see it. Put that card in your bathroom, in your car, by your toilet, whatever, whatever it takes, right? Sit height or standing height. It's up to you. Just put it somewhere. You'll see it on a regular basis and pray for people because when you pray for people, you're going to notice when God opens the opportunities up for you to share your faith with them because you've been mentioning their names to God every day for a year. We talked about L. Listen, Christians, we need to listen to people in this world. Sometimes we're known for talking so much, but we don't listen enough. And if we'll listen to people, they'll tell us how to love them and how to serve them. Talked about eating with people. That builds relationships, doesn't it? We're going to eat this week. But eat with people far from God. Get coffee. Grab lunch together. So many people eat lunch alone. Just invite your coworker to come and eat with you. And then build relationship. Last week we talked about serving. That as Christians, we're called to serve because Jesus first served us. And that serving people shows them tangibly the love of God. And when you combine words and deeds, now you have powerful ministry opportunities. Today, we're talking about sharing your story. All of you have a story and we want you to share that. God wants you to share it. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus said, Follow me, 
and I will make you fishers of men. That means that God doesn't just want you to be faithful. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to be a part of bringing people into the kingdom of God. He wants your life to be productive. And so he wants you to be a fisher of men. Did anybody go fishing growing up? Anybody here? I know in Arizona, there's not as many people that grow up going fishing, but I I went fishing growing up because my dad took me fishing. It was a great experience going fishing with dad. I was always so excited to get in the rowboat. We almost tipped over a couple times. More than once, I hooked my dad with the lure and he had to exercise extreme patience. But I learned that when you go fishing, you don't catch a fish every time you throw your lure into the water, do you? They call it fishing and not catching for a reason. You throw your lure out in the water, you reel it in, maybe one out of 20, 30 times, if you're lucky, you'll actually catch a fish. It takes time. You have to be patient. Sometimes you cast your lure and that lure doesn't work. And when it comes to fishing for men, we have to be patient. We have to know that you're going to cast and cast and cast before that lure works and someone hits and they accept Jesus. But so often Christians get discouraged because you invited five people to church and they all said no. And so you just said, well, maybe I'm not cut out for this. I'll, I'll just give up. Or I told someone about Jesus and they rejected me. But that's why it's called fishing for men, because you've got to keep going and keep going and keep going and know that God's going to use you to reach people far from him. Sometimes you don't catch a fish because you need to change lures. There's certain types of lures that work for certain fish and others that work for other fish. When it comes to fishing for men, there's really two types of fish that you're going to encounter. Number one, there are people who are aware of Christianity, but not interested. Right? There's just some people, you talk to them about God, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of God. And they have about this much interest in hearing what you have to say. There is no point trying to tell this person about Jesus. They're not going to hear it. In fact, Proverbs says, don't cast your pearls before swine. In other words, don't waste wisdom on people who can't even appreciate it. There is a lore to use for these people, and it's called your good works. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth to his people. You're the salt of the earth in the city on a hill. You're the light of the world. Now, the salt of the earth, that means that you got to get salty. And some of you already are salty, but that's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) When you're salty, that makes people around you thirsty. And the way to be salty is to let your deeds speak when people don't want to hear your words. If there are people in your life that you interact with every day, and man, as Christians, God knows we're not perfect. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, thank you. I'm not the only one. We're not perfect. But the longer you follow Jesus, your life does start to look more and more different than people who don't know him, right? And people notice that. They see you doing different things and not doing some of the ugly things they're doing. And that makes them curious. That, that makes them thirsty. And what you're doing by doing good is you're earning the right to share Jesus at a later date. And then the second type of fish is people looking for answers, actually searching, actually curious about God or life after death or where we came from. 
These people are closer to the cross. They're more open. Some people are far from the cross, right? They're like negative 100. They're not even in the ballpark. And then there are other people that they're looking for answers. They are open. And these are the people who you can share Jesus with. People tend to open up at certain key points in their lives. Oftentimes, when they have a baby, a lot of young couples get married, they have a baby, and then they say, we got to figure out what we're doing. We don't know how to raise these. And we want them to have good life. We need to go to church. And, and a lot of people come back to church once they have kids. Some people, they become curious about life after death when a parent or a grandparent dies. And they start asking, well, well where did my mom go? Where did my dad go? Am I going to see them again? Other people become curious after they get the big promotion. They start earning more money. They get a newer car. They get a bigger house. But they found that they're not satisfied and that all the things that they had been chasing still don't make them happy. And they start going, is this all there is? These are the people that you can be ready to share your story with. Wherever they're at, far from God, nearer to the cross, closed or opened, we as Christians keep fishing. Amen. We just keep casting. We keep fishing. We keep building relationships. We keep serving people because we have good news and it's too good not to share. Mark 16, 15, and he told him, he told them, Jesus said this, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Preach the good news to who? Everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. In other words, the stakes are very high. We're talking about life and death, heaven and, in he and hell. That's why we have to preach the good news to everyone. It's not about just trying to make Generation Church bigger. It's about trying to save people from being condemned for their sins. We want people to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're telling them how to do that. It's good news that you can be saved through Jesus. That's why we preach the gospel. And so we're all going to have to do this. It's not just my job to preach the good news, but it's your job to preach the good news. It takes all kinds of people to reach all kinds of people. So we're not just paying attention to what kind of person that we're dealing with, but you got to pay attention to who you are. When it comes to evangelizing or sharing the good news, I want you to know you have permission to be yourself. You're different than other people. Some people have told you, like, you're different. No, you're, you're different in a good way. And we need you to be a part of the team. You've got to go out this week for Thanksgiving. Some of you are going to play football in the morning before you eat. And I just want to encourage you. You're older than you think you are. So please don't <laughs> blow your knee out on Thursday. But seriously, when you play football, right, you can't picture throwing the ball to yourself, catching it, and then blocking for yourself, can you? Because you, you can't. It takes a team. And in the same way, you can't go out into the world and reach every single person and do everything for everyone. It takes a team. It takes all kinds of people to reach all kinds of people. So I want to talk about this. There are six different styles of evangelism. 
six different styles of evangelism, and I want you to self-identify which ones do you think you are naturally most equipped for. Here's the first one, the confrontational style. The confrontational style. This is what a lot of pastors are. This is the person who just straight up tells people, hey man, there's only one way to be saved. You're in or you're out. I remember going back to when I was eight years old on my bicycle in New Jersey, telling a kid in my block, on my block there, you're gonna go to hell when you die unless you accept Jesus Christ. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I got in trouble and I definitely wasn't tactful, but I should have known. Here's my sign, I'm gonna be a pastor someday. This is confrontational. Now, here's the thing, most people are not gonna do this. That's okay. Second style is the intellectual style. The intellectual style, confrontational style, kind of like Peter getting up on the day of Pentecost. You guys crucified Jesus, the only way to be saved. Then there's the intellectual style, kind of like Paul preaching the gospel at Mars Hill. And this is the person who loves apologetics, loves to research the Bible, and you love to show people how the archaeology that scientists have found today supports what the Bible said happened, and you love to prove your faith and give evidence for your faith, intellectual style of evangelism. We need people like this. We need people to use their minds and their intellect for God. But again, this is also not the most common style. Then third, we get into this, the relational style. And this is where our bless model really kind of kicks in. The relational style. These are people you build relationships over a long period of time, and you're building up, you're earning the right to share Jesus. You got to be a people person. You're just like the guy that loves to get dinner with people, to hang out with people. We talked about eating in this series, eating with people. You build relationships as you spend time together. Four, there's a servant style. Man, this is someone that you just love to serve. You love to do good for people, helping people with their yard work or watching their kids or giving someone who's homeless a cup of water, whatever it is. You're serving people to show them the love that God has for them. And that's a good thing. We talked about serving. Serving is important. Now we're gonna get into the next two, which are really what we're talking about today. Five, the invitational style. We're gonna talk about the Samaritan woman in a moment who said, come and see, come and see. People are gonna ask you questions sometimes about your faith, and you might say, I don't know the answer to that question, but I know where you can get the answer. Come to church with me and learn. You can actually take their difficult question and use it against them like a judo trick and get them to come to church. Just come to church with me and you'll find answers for questions like that. Inviting people to church. Some of you are great inviters. I think there are some people in our church who've probably brought 50 people to church by themselves. So if you're an inviter, you just get those invite cards. You give them out like candy on Halloween. You're just like, come to church, come to church. Like every barista at every Starbucks in this city has heard about Generation Church because you're picking up your drink and they always like, what are you doing this weekend? Ding! I'm going to church. You should come with me. And some of them are like, okay, next car, next car. But you just keep casting that lure, right? You cast, you cast that lure. We invite people. And then six is the testimonial style. Everyone has a story, but some people have incredible stories and can share about amazing things that God has done in their lives. But I believe every Christian needs to be ready to share his or her faith. 
And you do this by just telling your story. You have experienced through Jesus the gospel, good news. And we are hardwired as human beings to share good news, aren't we? We love to tell people. In fact, you don't even get to fully realize the joy of a good situation until you tell other people about it. Some of you tell people even things that aren't good news. Like, hey, I'm gluten-free now. Hey, I started CrossFit. Guess what? Like, we don't care. (laughs) But we do need to share good news. Like, man, you found a good restaurant? Tell me about that. You saw a good movie? I need to know. You found a good church? Bingo. Tell me. Tell me where to go, right? Like, tell me about. And then most of all, if you found Jesus Christ, that's good news. So remember that you're actually stifling your own joy if you don't share good news. I'm going to read John chapter 4, verse 3, about the Samaritan woman. This is kind of a a longer passage here. So try to stick with me. And this is going to make some important points for us about evangelism. It says, So Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Disciple DoorDash, that's when it started. (laughs) The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. We talked about that last week, how Jews and Samaritans were enemies. It was like Cardinals and Seahawks fans times a thousand, like a lot of tension. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? So she starts asking about the mechanics and the little details. And he's trying to make a big spiritual point. Besides, you don't think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, do you? Jesus replied in verse 13, Anyone who drinks this water from this well will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. You see, he's talking about something spiritual here, not H2O. So the woman catches on in verse 15. This sounds really good. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come to this well every day. That sounds really good, right? So Jesus, all of a sudden, verse 16, he changes the conversation. It takes a drastic left turn. He says, uh, go and get your husband. Um, well, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. This seems like a reality TV show, right? <laughs> Who's the father? Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. In other words, like, how did you know that about me? So then she starts throwing all these random things out. So tell me this then. 
Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? So go to verse 25. The woman goes on to say, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. That was a mic drop moment, just like, And that is an amazing moment in this woman's life. She meets the Messiah, and here's where she turns into an evangelist. It says in verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. This is very different than what we would expect. She didn't say, come and see a man who told me how awesome I am. She didn't say, come and see a man who answered all my difficult questions. She just said, come see this man who called me out for all of my problems. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Okay, this is a long passage, I know. It's a great story. You can read it slowly later. Um, But this passage brings out some valuable do's and don'ts of evangelism. Do's and don'ts. Here's the first do of evangelism. Do. Show people value before you ask them to value your God. Show people value before you ask them to value your God. So this Samaritan woman, she went, she went to this well at noontime because she was a social outcast. She was known in her community for being a woman with loose morals. Everyone knew that she wasn't the woman you wanted your husband hanging around. And so she came to the well at noontime because that's not when anybody else would go to the well. And we understand that here in Arizona. There's times of the year where at noontime, you do not dare venture outdoors. (laughs) You hide in your house, you sprint to your car, and you go into work or into the mall, right? And that's how it was in this day and age. People came to the well early in the morning or late at night. Nobody came to the well at noontime except for this woman because she didn't want to see anybody. She knew if I'm around other people, I'm going to get all kinds of grief. I'm going to be judged. People might even attack me. So here she is, and Jesus shows her value in a way that other people wouldn't, just by talking to her and having a conversation with her. We can see that it really threw her off. She's like, why, why are you talking to me? What, what's, what's this? Am I on a prank TV show right now? Like, where are, the cam- where are the cameras? She's confused. What's even going on? But Jesus is showing her value. And this is so important for us. Because if people don't know that you care, they won't care what you know. You might have all kinds of big answers about philosophy and theology. But if people don't know that you care about them, they won't care what you know about. It starts, our value for people, it starts when we take the time to pray for them. I mean, it's actually a sacrifice to take the time to pray for someone who's not a Christian yet because you're believing that they will give their life to Jesus Christ. You're valuing them. You value them when you listen to them. God knows we all love to say what we think, But when we listen to people, we're showing them value. When we meet them where they're at, we're showing them value. When we're kind to people that other people are not kind to, we're showing them value that God loves you and I love you. I value you because God values you. 
Here's the first don't. Don't view people as projects to be conquered or assignments to be completed. I have been so guilty of this. I think back to when I first became a pastor. Man, it was like eight years ago. There was this young guy in the church, and I don't think he was really living for God at the time, but I knew him, I recognized him, and he called me up one day, like crying, sobbing, because his girlfriend had broken up with him. And I'm like, man, this is a great opportunity. This guy is, he's open, he's looking for answers. I'm gonna go meet up with him. So I met up with him. And this guy, see, he, was, he was sad, he was heartbroken. If I'm being honest, though, he was not looking for Jesus in this moment. He, he's there asking questions like, man, is it hopeless? Is she ever going to take me back? And I'm there answering questions he wasn't even asking. Because I was just trying to get him to pray a prayer and accept Jesus. I'm there like, hey, well, Jesus will take you back. You can ask Jesus. He's like, oh, but I have a broken heart. And I'm like, you got to ask Jesus into that heart. <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm like just, just pray this prayer, pray this prayer. And in all honesty, I was just looking at him like a project to be conquered. Don't do that. Don't do that to people. In order to evangelize, to spread the good news, we've got to take our time and be patient and meet people where they're at. We've got to answer the questions they're actually asking. Because of love. When love is our motivator, we just keep doing what it takes, even when it costs us. Think about Jesus talking to that Samaritan woman, right? He was tired. He was thirsty. He was hungry. He probably had things he could have done that would have been more convenient for him. But he took time to talk to this woman, to address her and deal with her issues. She wasn't just a project to him. He loved her as a person. So listen to people, serve them, show them that you care about them. Here's the second don't. I'm going to go to the next don't. Don't get stuck in arguments over science, philosophy, secondary theological issues, or politics. Don't get stuck in these issues. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's not going to lead where you want. We see with that Samaritan woman that Jesus started calling her out with her real issues. And she started throwing up a smokescreen. She tried to distract him by bringing up politics and theology. Where, where do you Jews think we should worship? Do you think we should worship in Jerusalem or here at Mount Gerizim? If you don't understand that question, that's a deep, long-asked question that the Jews and the Samaritans debated about. There's a lot of history there. But she was trying to distract him and throw him off the trail. And people will do that. When you start talking to them about God, they'll oftentimes bring up secondary issues about things that don't really matter. They'll bring up politics. What about this? Republicans this, Democrats that. They'll bring up socioeconomic issues. They'll bring up trending hot button hashtag issues. Oftentimes, Christians get caught up in these things And so they miss out on the opportunity to share Jesus Christ. Like, oh yeah, I'd love to tell you about Jesus, but there's a few political issues that you're wrong about that we need to deal with first. That's not how it's supposed to work, is it? Our aim is to see people come to know God, not win them to our worldview. Our goal is their heart, not their head. I'm going to explain that because I know some of you are struggling with that right now. (laughs) Change comes after belief. 
You change after you believe, not before. That's not how it works. That's not how it works for any of us. But some of us, if I can be so bold, some of you never get the opportunity to share Jesus because you get stuck in arguments about things that have no eternal consequence. So think about this with this upcoming election cycle. A lot of us are going to be tempted at times. You might be tempted to start a debate on the internet. (laughs) Just don't. Just don't engage. We know people are going to start getting emotional. They're going to start posting. They're going to start arguing on Facebook threads. You're going to be tempted to jump in. And listen, I'm not the guy who just doesn't care about politics. I majored in political science. When I did my bachelor's degree, I care about politics. But I learned at one point that you have to choose what you want for your life. You can either make your point or you can make a difference. And what will happen is oftentimes we'll get so caught up trying to make our point that we'll actually miss out on the opportunity to speak into someone's life about Jesus because we'll shut the door before it's had a chance to open. So it's God who changes the heart and renews the mind after we come to know him. If you want to change people's minds, then you need to know this second do of evangelism, focus on the heart. That's the second do. Focus on the heart. When you talk to people and listen to them, you'll have the chance to figure out what are you worried about? What are you nervous about? What are you angry about? What are you prideful about? What are you excited about? What are you struggling with? You're learning about what's going on in their heart. And the heart is the doorway to faith. It says in Romans 10.10, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. Notice it doesn't say it is by believing in your head. It's by believing in your heart. It's by trusting in your heart that you're made right with God. The heart issues that we all struggle with are what eventually allow us to accept Jesus. That's why we need to focus on people's heart. That's why Jesus asked this Samaritan woman about her husband. He wasn't just nosy, digging into her issues. He wanted to deal with her heart struggles. He knew that she was on her sixth guy. She had a problem, and she was trying to fix her problem with men. She kept going back to that well of relationship, and every time came away thirstier than before. And Jesus wanted her to realize you're looking for something that will satisfy you, but you're not going to find it in a boyfriend. You're not going to find it in a guy. You need to find a man, but a man who's also God. And that's me. He brought this up because he was getting to her heart issues. And the good news for us is that Jesus is the answer to every heart struggle. Eventually, people will tell you. If you're executing this blessed strategy and using it, operating in it, listening to people, eating with people, serving people, they're going to talk to you and they're going to tell you what they're struggling with, what they're worried about, what they're excited about. And that is your door to share Jesus. Are you lonely? Well, I know Jesus, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Are you hurting? I know Jesus, our healer. 
Are you dealing with bitterness? Let me tell you about how Jesus forgave you and how that enables you to forgive other people. Are you angry? Let me show you how God put his wrath on his son Jesus so he wouldn't have to show you his wrath. When they show their heart issues, you can show them how Jesus is the answer. He's the living water that quenches the thirst that is otherwise unquenchable. So focus on the heart. Here's the third do of evangel evangelism. Start with your weakness and end with his greatness. This is so important. Man, oftentimes if we've been a Christian for a while, we can be tempted to start talking about how awesome we are now. <laughs> like, man, I am a great Christian. Let me tell you, I read my Bible this week like three times. I've been to church twice this month. But listen, we're not the hero of this story, are we? Focus, start with your weakness. If we try to impress people, they'll never be impressed with our God. See, this woman, she came away, she went to her village and she brought people to Jesus, but she didn't talk about how awesome she was because everybody knew she wasn't. They knew she wasn't perfect. She actually said, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. They were like, we know what you did. But she started with her weakness and then turned it to God's greatness. People need to hear how God can help hurting broken people. That's what he's done for us. They need to hear you talk about, this is what my sins were like. That's what I struggled with. Here's how I met Jesus. And here's how my life has changed. And when you talk about how your life has changed, it sounds like this, I still struggle but now the way I handle my struggles is different, right? That means that, yes, you're going to have to be vulnerable. You're going to have to talk about the things in your life you're not proud of, but that is what makes your story worth sharing, and that's what makes it worth listening to. Some of you are like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can share my faith. But when you focus on your own story, you always have something <clears throat> to share. If you focus on your own story, you always have something to share. Excuse me. You don't have to be an expert in biblical theology because you're already an expert on you. You're like, I am. I'm an expert on me. I know all about me. You are qualified to talk about you and share your story. So here's what it sounds like. When you share your story, there's three parts. My past, I'm telling people about where I came from and my struggles and even some of the things that I did that were sinful. Two, how I met Jesus. Some of you met Jesus at a church. Some of you, a coworker shared Jesus. Some of you watched a televangelist and accepted Jesus in your living room. But just talk about how you met Jesus and what you did in that moment. And then three, talk about how your life is different. I struggled, I met Jesus, but now my life is different. I still struggle, but I have hope. I still sin, but I turn to God and find forgiveness, and he's helping me to grow. Share your story. And here's the third. Third don't. Third don't. Don't think you're not qualified to share. Because some of you will listen to this message, but you're still wrestling with insecurity, and you're thinking, man, I can't tell people about Jesus. I still have things in my life that aren't right. I need to go to like a five-year discipleship class or something. I need to learn more. 
Don't think you're not qualified to share. The only requirement to help people know God is knowing him yourself. It's so important. If you know Jesus, you're qualified to share Jesus. And it doesn't require that you're perfect. It doesn't require that you know all the answers to all the questions that people might ask. But you can share your story. The enemy wants to stop you from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. But we see again and again in the Bible that God takes people and chooses them and then immediately sends them. He chose Abraham and then sent him to be an evangelist in a foreign land. He chose Moses and Moses had a speech impediment, but he's like, I I choose you and I'm going to send you to go tell Pharaoh a bunch of stuff he doesn't want to hear. He chose Isaiah. Isaiah was like, I'm a sinner. And God said, okay, your sins are forgiven. Now go tell people about me. Andrew in the New Testament, he met Jesus and brought Peter to meet Jesus the same day. God wants to do the same thing through you. He wants to use you now. He wants to use you today to reach people this week. He wants your life to make a difference in other people's lives. What if every one of us said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bless people in the name of Jesus. I'm going to bless my neighbor. I'm going to bless the people that I work with. I'm going to bless my family. I'm going to share Jesus Christ, and I'm going to start doing it now. If you'll do that, we'll make a huge difference in the world. In John chapter 4, it says in verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of what the woman had said. He told me everything I ever did. She didn't have some impressive theological argument. She just met Jesus who could answer the most important question, how can I be fulfilled? Jesus is the one. And that's all you have to do is be willing to share with people. Jesus is the one who satisfies. He's the living water. If you'll do that, God will use you to change the world. And we can all do it because we have all, as Christians, encountered a miracle-working God who has done resurrecting work inside of us. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads together right now. And Mesa and Awatuki, we're going to pray together. And I want to pray first for anyone who's here today who says, man, I need to receive Jesus myself. I want to be forgiven. And I've been searching for fulfillment in all the wrong places. But like that woman at the well, I'm realizing now that there's only one person who can satisfy me, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the one who forgives. He's the one who gives joy. He's the one who brings purpose. It's Jesus all along. I've actually been looking for Jesus. If that's you, then pray this prayer with me right now, right where you're sitting. Just pray, God, I need you. I accept Jesus as my savior. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again so I could have eternal life. I wanna follow him from this day forward in Jesus' name. And let me just pray for everyone in our church that we would be bold to go out and be a blessing to others. Lord, we wanna serve you by sharing our faith, but sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes we get scared. Sometimes we're nervous about being rejected or not having the answers, but you didn't call us to have the answers. You called us to share good news. 
And I'm praying that each and every one of us will be filled with boldness as your spirit fills us up. Let our courage also rise that we would go and tell people how you changed us and how you saved us and how you've made a difference in our lives. We want to be people that are a blessing to this world. We want to show them the love that you have for them. And we know that through us, God, you want to change so many lives for generations to come. I pray that this will be a church that shares its faith in boldness. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you.